0: First Sunday of the month, sit with mom and dad, and uh, kind of a heads up, ladies and gentlemen, have you noticed we've been having bigger crowds of kids? And uh, so here's what we're going to be doing. For our older class right now, we're, we're going to have the cutoff at fifth grade, so it'll be second through fifth grade starting next week, uh, and the sixth graders will be in here because they can understand what the preachers saying, and they can understand how to apply biblical truths. So uh, we will have them in here uh, from that point on. I want you to turn to Romans chapter 12, verse 10, the verse that you have on the cards that we're passing out. We have a very serious crisis in America today when it comes to this idea of an honor preferring one another. We have we have several crises and they seem to be ongoing. We, we're in politically difficult times. We're in, uh, if I can use the term, religiously difficult times. We're in economic kind of turbulent times. Everything's up and yet the debt is also up and you kind of wonder what's going to happen in the future. We live in very difficult times. But one crisis that is 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 prominent is there's very little honoring of other people. Uh, the police, uh, Tom and, and and others of you in law enforcement, I I don't envy you having to go to work in today's environment. When you know when I was taught, uh, you see a policeman, you comply, you respectful, you. And I was so happy to hear my son say the other day, you know, he, he said, you know what, if I get stopped or when I get stopped, it's like, yes, sir, or yes, ma'am. And, uh, you know, it's po- totally polite and, and no challenging. And uh, he recounted some of his friends the way that they would treat police. And uh, I, I'm just, you know, I think that's just, it's not only the right thing to do, it's the smart thing to do because they have a gun. yeah. And you can't outrun a bullet. You know what I mean? And it's the Border Patrol and ICE agents and DEA and anybody, California Highway Patrol. It just seems like there's very little respect, and it ought not be that way. Very little respect for teachers in the classroom. I have seen, uh, maybe you have, news uh, shows present some of the difficulties in, in the classroom of trying to keep order with an unruly student body who have no respect for the teachers. Politicians, I don't need to tell you about that. That's an ongoing thing. Pastors, very little respect for pa- in the light of uh, all of the sexual improprieties and the sexual abuse and and other things running off with um, church money and different things like that. There's not the same respect for the clergy that there used to be back. Um, I got I got out some stuff from my uh, my archives, I guess, and I had a church membership thing from 1953. Three, I think it was, baptism uh, at the First Baptist Church in Chicago Heights, Illinois. And uh, and you know what? At that point, I mean, the pastor was like, everybody respected the pastor. And you all do. I appreciate that here. But but there's not a lot of respect for the clergy in general. Um, parents are not, they're disrespected. In the Vons, some of the things you see going on with the kids, in the Vons, you just want to walk over and Can't go there. All right, so parents, children, siblings, spouses, lack of respect for God. People saying things as if they were defying God. I I can't imagine defying God. I can't imagine that. So Romans 12.10, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the Apostle Paul said, Be kindly, affectionate one to another, with brotherly love, in honor, preferring, one another. Last week we touched on the meaning of that verse, and we as a reminder to be kindly affection means to love each other as we would love a family member. And I know sometimes family relationships are strained, so uh, please see over that and look over that. And it's like you know, I love my kids; I would die for my kids. I love my wife; I would die for my wife. Uh, don't test me with you, but uh, I mean, blood relatives—they're special, and and we ought to love them. And so. This This is the idea that we're to to love other people as we love a blood relative, and in honor, preferring one another means to go before as a guide, making the way uh, right for them, all the while honoring that person. To honor means to esteem or to reverence. In my archives, I was digging out. I used to play cornet, and I'd go to state competition and play solos, and I found some of my grading, uh, some of the judges grading on, on that, and... And I was reminded that a, a, an accompanist, a pianist accompanying a cornet or a clarinet or a saxophone or anything else have a very specific job. The pianist's job is to make the soloist look and sound as good as they possibly can. The volume of the piano has to be right. If it's overpowering the instrument, the other instrument that's being played, it's not going to work well. The runs and the fill must not overshadow the melody of the soloist's efforts. The accompaniment... Uh, has to follow the soloist and has to cover a bad note or a, or a miscue, if at all possible. The, the pianist then rejoices when the listeners honor the soloist for a job well done. For the first almost four years out of Bible college, I was uh, in, in one church, I was the youth director, the janitor, the bus director, the assistant pastor, the radio preacher, that was you know a few of the things I did in that first church construction uh, crew uh, those were the things my job as assistant or associate or youth pastor or staff was to make the pastor as successful as I possibly could as a husband I'm to make my wife as successful as I possibly can as an employer you ought to be trying to make your employees as successful as they can be, and vice versa, the employees making the employer look that way. As a dad and granddad, I have a responsibility to my children and grandchildren to make them successful. As a pastor, I want you all to be successful spiritually and otherwise. Paul says we are to honor, in honor, prefer one another, or, or to honor others and prefer others above ourselves. To honor means we value them. I value my wife as... as um, as if she, there were a fixed price, a, a big fixed price. Her value is more than that of rubies and pearls and, and, and diamonds and all of that. Uh, Proverbs addresses that very thing. We all have things of value, things that we treasure. But people ought to be highest on that list of all the things that we might have. It's a deference or a reverence. And preferring means to go before and show the way. So here's an honest question. Here's an honest question. And remember, we're going to have communion in a little while. Don't be lying. Be honest with this. Do you rejoice when other Christians or coworkers or family members or friends are honored, promoted, or achieved a measure of success? And answer that in your own heart. Do you rejoice when others are promoted? Maybe even over you. Maybe at work someone else gets the promotion that you were wanting, gets the position that you were wanting. Are you able to sincerely rejoice with them? A little bit further, here's another question, kind of a follow up auxiliary question. Do we help that happen if it's within our power? Or are we jealous of others' successes? And heaven forbid, do we sabotage others in an attempt to make ourselves look better? I've known people, I would venture that all of you have known people, who were willing to denigrate other folks to make themselves look better. And that's a pretty sad situation. We have to tear down someone else in order to build up yourself. So who's our supreme example of how to, in honor, prefer one another in honor? Who's that? That would be Jesus Christ, our supreme example. In John 13, verse 12, he does something the disciples did not expect. In fact, one of them resisted. John thirteen twelve. So after he had washed their feet and had taken his garments and was sat down, he said to them, Do you know what I have done to you? You call me Master and Lord, Jesus said, and you say, Well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and Master, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. So here they are. They're at the meal that would become known the Last Supper. They're there instituting, Christ is instituting the Lord's Supper, the communion table, the uh, the, the the Last Supper, the Lord's Supper, whatever you call it. Uh, he, he was there instituting that. And he gets through with that. And to everyone's amazement, he gets he gets a basin of water and, and a towel. He girds himself with the towel and he goes to the first disciple and he begins washing. The disciples' feet, that was a job for servants. When you went into a, a rich man's home, there would be servants whose task it was was to wash your feet. It was a custom they had. And so Jesus washed the disciples' feet, went from one disciple to the other, to another, to another, to another. This was the job of a servant, and he is our example. Now, some Confuse principle with practice. And so they have as one of their ordinances, church ordinances, foot washing. You've maybe heard of some of those. Well, they actually, we'll get together. We're going to have communion. Uh, if we were of that persuasion, we would say, okay, take your shoes off. Daniel, I'm going to come down there and wash your feet. I've got a wire brush and some common cleanser. I'm going to take, <laughs> take care of those puppies for you. And, uh, and I mean, they actually, in the church services, wash other people's feet. So the fact is, that's not bad as long as the principle follows the practice. If that's all you do is wash someone's feet, that's not bad by itself. Our customs may vary. We don't have foot washing as one of our church ordinances. We have communion. We have baptism. Baptism is for believers. Communion is for those who are trusting the Lord and put their faith and trust in Christ. The principle, though, is the same. We ought to metaphorically or literally wash one another's feet as a servant would in Jesus' day. You see what what happens? Here is Christ. Here is Jesus Christ, the Son of Almighty God, bowing down at the feet of His disciples and washing them. None of us are too good to do the menial things that need to be done. Visiting convalescent people, Donna and Monica and others that go with them, helping a neighbor, uh, doing the things in honor, preferring one another, putting others in front of ourselves. You see, there was no shortage of people doing good works. Jesus addressed that in Matthew 23, 5, where he says, he drives home the point. He says, but all their works, he's talking about the Pharisees, all their works they do for to be seen of men. They make broad their phylacteries. What are the phylacteries? They were, they were pouches or boxes containing scrolls of parchment and scripture that the Jews uh, wrote on. And then they would bind them on their foreheads and on their wrists so that the words of God would be before their eyes. As frontlets before their eyes is the Old Testament rendering. Or on the backs of their hands they would see them and they would remember these verses of Scripture that they had written down. They were originally called places of preservation in the English, places of preservation because they would help the Jews to keep the laws that they've written down in those little boxes on their forehead and on the back of their hand. You know what happened to that? It became so common. It became so ordinary. It became something different. It became like a lucky charm or an amulet. It's like I've got this. I've got this thing that'll preserve me from evil. If I wear this on my hand, if I wear this on my head, then I'm going to be protected from evil. But he says they make broad their phylacteries. They make these oversized phylacteries and they enlarge their borders. The ribbons of the tassels that they would sew on the bottoms of their their robes that would would speak of their holiness and their dedication to God. And they would they love the uppermost rooms of the feast and the chief, the best seats in the synagogue, God. And greetings in the market to be called them in, Rabbi, Rabbi. And then he says something very strange. How many of you have a father? Let me see your hands. How many of you have a father? It's almost everybody. Okay. I mean, some are not here any longer. I understand that. But I think everybody had a father at some point in time. He says, Call no man father upon earth, for one is your father which is in heaven, neither be in masters, for one is your master, even Christ. Well, that used to kind of, I thought, what does that mean? You're not supposed to call your dad father? In Hebrew, the or and I probably didn't say that right, Rahabi, means a great one, a chief, or a master, and he was introduced as a title into the Jewish schools under a threefold form. There was a progression. Rab was the lowest honor of degree, just the rab. And then the I put, the suffix I, rabbi with the I, means my master has a higher dignity. And rabboni, rabboni was the third high, the the highest of all three of them, which means my great master, the most honorable of all. And this was publicly given to only... Seven people, and was of great eminence, and uh, and what Jesus is teaching is this title had become misused. The title started giving uh, praise to people uh, who who weren't even necessarily right in what they were doing, what they were believing. So it required absolute and implicit obedience to their decisions and their traditions their traditions and so his command is not to call someone rabbi in that sense of absoluteness in that sense of spiritual superiority in that sense of being the highest echelon when these people their beliefs and their practices did not even coincide and then jesus says but he that is greatest among you shall be your what servant He that is greatest among you will be as servant, and whosoever shall exalt himself shall be abased, and he that shall humble himself shall be exalted. Here's a rule of thumb, members and visitors of First Baptist Church. Don't exalt yourself. Don't promote yourself. Don't lift yourself up. Lift up others. Paul has an application this way and we've studied this before in Philippians chapter 2 verse 5 let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus who being in the form of God the Greek word for form morphe in the form of God which means exact replication which means identity it doesn't mean like God it means God he was an exact replication of God. Uh, and no one could be in the form of God who was not God, okay? So this morphe is a specific word. He thought it not robbery to be equal with God, that's Jesus, but he made himself of no reputation. He happily emptied himself and took upon him the form, morphe again, the form of a servant and was made in the likeness, boy, I don't know if I'm going to be able to pronounce this one, in the Greek, Homoiomatos, homoiomatos. In the likeness of men. you know what that means? He resembled a man. He was in the morphe of God, but he was in the likeness of man. Here's this unique being. Never, ever before has there been a deity and humanity wrapped up and rolled into one. And this is the Christ, the Messiah, the Savior, the Son of Almighty God. And he was in the likeness of men. He resembled man and being found in a fashion as a man. Here's the third word. So you've got in the form, you've got in the likeness, you've got in the fashion. Fashion is schema of Philippians 2.8. It refers to the Lord Jesus whose outward appearance bore no difference than other men. I mean, obviously, he didn't look exactly like every other man, but he looked like a normal man. He didn't have a halo appearing before him. He, he, his feet touched the ground when he walked, except in rare situations. So he was, the, he was no different than other men in that respect. And being found in a fashion of a man brings forth the, the, the difference between this. The morphe of God, the exact replication. Jesus is God. He was God. He always will be God. God is one person, uh, is one God in three persons, three manifestations. How can we understand that? How can one be three and three be one? That doesn't make sense. Sounds like new math. And there's no perfect way to illustrate that. I'm, I'm one person. I am. I am son to my parents. I am father to my children. I'm a husband to my wife. And those three different relationships. They're are different relationships. But I'm one person. And so so is he in the form of God. Exact replication. He he was he was in the likeness of men, fashioned as a man. Uh, and and so that is our Savior. That is the Son of God, being in the form of God. Thought it not be robbery to be equal to God, but he took upon himself the form of a servant, a doulos, which is a slave, and he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross, a common criminal's death. Wherefore, because of that, God has highly exalted him, the Father highly exalted him, and given him a name which is above every name. And you know what it says after that, that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall Bow, and every tongue will confess. Hey, if you are not a believer in Jesus Christ today, let me just say this. Please understand, nobody is going to go into eternity without confessing that Jesus Christ is the Son of Almighty God. No one is going to go into eternity without bowing the knee to the Lord Jesus Christ. Why not do it on this side of the grave and live forever in heaven? Unselfishness, humility, self-sacrifice others this is God emptying himself becoming like us in order to save us the founder of our faith Doing this, how much more should we do this? Humble ourselves now. Later comes the exaltation. Later comes the reward. Later comes eternity. And by the way, if we do get any crowns or jewels in our crowns in heaven, guess what we're going to do with them? We're not going to prance around in heaven wearing the crowns. We're going to take them and lay them at Jesus' feet. Because because I'm not capable of doing anything good without the help of the Holy Spirit of God. Humbly serve. Paul understood this principle. How can we apply the principle today then? This idea of an honor, preferring one another. Evaluate your attitudes toward others. A couple of real probing things here. Do you purposely honor others above yourself? When they're talking about their accomplishment, do you feel like you have to counter them with your accomplishment? Or do you purposely honor them? If so, when do you do that? And where? Can you think of a time? Second question: do you show sincere appreciation for others, sincere appreciation for others? How do you do that? This is a big one. This is not done and this next one is not done in the world very much. Do you deflect praise when it's directed at you? Passing it on to others. It's easy when people are saying good things about us just to absorb that isn't it? Take it in like a sponge. Just, yeah, 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 a little bit more. Here's a little bit more of that. Deflect it. Last of all, do you look for ways to serve those around you? Do you get that basin out, that towel? Do you bow before them and begin to wash their feet, metaphorically? If it's difficult for us to compliment others and enjoy their successes, we need to take a serious inward look because we're not in honor preferring other people. We're not in honor putting others before ourselves. Are we insecure? If so, learn Philippians 2, 3, and 4. Memorize the passage. Understand who we are in Christ. Let me give you this poem and we'll be through. Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. Where there is hatred, let me sow love. Where there is injury, Pardon. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light. Where there is sadness, joy. O divine master, grant that I may not so much seek to be consoled as to console, to be understood as to understand, and to be loved as to love. For it is in giving that we receive. In pardoning that we are pardoned, it is in dying that we are born to eternal life. In honor, preferring one another. It'll revolutionize your home. It'll revolutionize your workplace. It's what God would have us to do. Would you bow your heads, please? Our Father in heaven, we want to be like you. And yet some of the things that we need to do to be like you are so counter our societal and cultural teachings, to humble ourselves before you, to humble ourselves before other people, to value them, to place them above ourselves and in front of ourselves is a very rare thing in today's world. But I pray, God, that you would help us to be that kind of Christian. With every head still bowed, if you're here this morning. And you don't know Christ in the sense of him having forgiven you of all your sins. And you don't have the assurance in your heart. If you were honest with me, you don't have the assurance in your heart that if you died today, you'd be in heaven tonight. Maybe you don't even know if there is a heaven. Maybe you don't know who Jesus is, really. I want you to know something. Jesus Christ loved you. He knows you. He knew you before you were conceived. He loves you and he wants you to live with him forever in heaven. God is not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. Everyone should come to repentance. And if you'd like to receive Christ as your personal Savior, if you'd like to repent of your sins and be part of his family and have these promises that he's given be your promises right where you're seated, would you, would you turn your heart toward him? Would you ask him to come into your life to save your soul, to forgive you of for your sins, to help you to repent of the s- sinful things you've said and done and places you've gone? Would you trust him right now? And I know that a prayer is not a magic abracadabra, please and thank you type thing, but just as a way of guidance, if that's your desire, would you pray something like this? Dear God, I recognize that I'm unworthy. I recognize I'm a sinner. And I know one day that I'm going to pass away. I'm going to die. But I'm not ready to meet you yet because of sin in my life. So, Lord, I ask you, please forgive me of my sin. I'm weary of them. I'm weary of the burden and the shame and the guilt. God, take those things away from me and put in my heart A desire to love you and to serve you and to know you. God, be my Savior through Jesus Christ, your Son, right now. With every head still bowed, if you just prayed that prayer, something like it, just now, I want you to raise your hand up as high as you possibly can. Hold it up for just a moment. Preacher, I just prayed that prayer, and I meant it with all my heart. Hold your hand up. God bless you. God bless you. Are there others besides, you can put your hand down. Anyone else? Preacher, I just prayed that. And I meant it. Christian, one last thing to you with every head still bowed. Do we indeed honor others, putting them before ourselves? Our Father, help us to do that. Help us to be like our Savior. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand? Fitz, right down here. Guys, if there's something you need to talk to the Lord about and you need someone to help you pray, Fitz is your man right over here. John's in the back. John, where are you? Would you get in the in the very back, John? Rachel's over here. Ladies, you want a lady to talk to? My wife and Rachel, they'll be glad to talk to you. Don't be embarrassed, don't be shy, don't be bashful, don't wait for someone else. You may may need to be the one who comes right now. If God's speaking to your heart, listen to Him and take that step by faith. As we sing our invitation hymn, come ahead.